This is Registry, a podcast from Office Supply Publishing and Klaus Gunpoint. Welcome to Registry. I'm Chris Garcia. It's that time again. And the announcement by the Library of Congress, 25 eclectic films chosen for National Film Registry. Pretty accurate. There are some real tentpole productions on this one that are, you know, obvious. A couple of them are actually, was, was it on already? But there are some real remarkable pieces that got included and I'm going to go through alphabetically as usual. I think one of the big things is a lot of people are noting that there is a lot more African-American documentary work on this, which is definitely true. I think one of the things here, though, is that we're seeing finally the willingness to move into the 80s with a clear, a clear view that it was a significant decade. Because the 80s and the 90s are underrepresented. And I'm still bummed we didn't get to see Zodiac on there. But that said, there's a bunch of great films on here. A few LGBTQ films that I honestly, they weren't wouldn't have been on my first ballot, but all of them make sense. But let's start with Attica. One of the most important prison uprisings in history was in 1971. And I believe it was the great... William Kunstler, who represented the was Attica 12 or whatever they were. I've not seen this one, but I know that it is one of the most important documentaries of the 1970s. It came out in 1974, and it had a really important amount of video footage that it used. So it was actually not just the subject matter, but also the integration of video footage into a film. It's not new, of course. They've been doing that since the 60s. Really, it was sort of pioneered uh, on-off, or is it off-on? <laughs> One of those two. But here it was used as an integral part of telling this story. The Ballad of Gregorio Cortez, 1982. Again, a great film from the 1980s, and a major part of the Chicano film movement. What I think this does more than anything is that it brings Chicano film to the spotlight. And you have other films like Zoot Suit that are really important to the story of Chicano film. This one, though, makes a really fascinating choice, is that it's in English and Spanish with no subtitles. And that idea is really, really fascinating to me. Directed by Robert Young and starring Edward James Almos, who I believe is in his third or fourth film that's on the registry now. An absolutely great film. It's one of those that is just, you should see it. Behind Every Good Man. This is a pre-Stonewall short film. And I love the fact that when you read this, the this flirtatious, heartbreaking pre-Stonewall UCLA student short by Nikolai Urson offers a stunning early portrait of black gender fluidity in Los Angeles and the quest for love and acceptance. If you haven't seen this, it's actually very good. It's kind of hard to find. At least it was back when I saw it, probably in the 90s. It's it's not the best ways you can see this story. We're, you know, 50-something years out and have had filmmakers who have gone through more waves of filmmaking, but it's a solid early piece that really, really should, you should give it a look because it's, it's well worth it. Bush Mama. Uh, this is actually one of those films that I've only heard about and have never seen. And Haile Jermina, Jerima? 
I can never remember how to pronounce it. But uh, it is a it is a story about how the system makes it difficult for people of color to live their life, really. In particular, uh, this one focuses on a woman facing a pregnancy. It's really interesting. It's one of those one of those watch it once and then think about it and then watch it a few months later. Cab Calloway home movies. I love home movies. We did a whole episode about home movies. Uh, I think this one does a lot of really fun stuff that, you know, there, I've seen shots of these in documentaries. I've never seen the whole things. But they're from 48 to 51, which is a little late in his career. Like, I'd love to see home movies from the 30s, but what are you going to do? But it also shows some of his travel stuff. Carrie, Brian De Palma's first film on the registry. Seems weird, I know. It's it's not a masterpiece. I don't even think it's Palma's best film. But it is iconic. You know, they're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. The scene with the tampons in the shower, of course, the pig's blood and the doors closing. It definitely, it was 1976, so we hadn't yet really gotten to the slasher horror segment. We were still waiting on Halloween. We had come out of Rosemary's Baby. And this is sort of the apex, I think, of that sort of horror film in, in the first wave. And I think this is about eight to ten years after Rosemary's Baby. But De Palma uses a lot of De Palmaisms in it. And I think that's one of the reasons why this stands as a great example of not only De Palma's film, but what horror was doing on the mainstream side. Because we were getting somewhat slasher horror as already, but nothing to the level that we would see just five years later. Charade, Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn. It is a remarkable example of Hollywood not letting go of the stars of the 30s and 40s. Because Cary Grant was old, but you had this wonderful performance between Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant. And I would argue that this is Cary Grant's last great film. And this is directed by Stanley Donan, who, another director who does not get enough credit. Of course, Cyrano de Bergerac, Jose Ferrer, one of the true geniuses of mid-20th century acting. Just, I would argue that this was the best telling of Cyrano, the best straight telling. I think that the the movie Roxanne, which should also be on the registry, and now that they're looking at the 80s a little more seriously, I think it has a shot, uh, was a better telling of it, largely because of Steve Martin. Here's one we called Hairspray. It's the first John Waters on the registry. It's a really significant film, and it was John Waters' transition from underground filmmaker to mainstream underground cult maker filmmaker if you sort of suss that around your brain it's a fantastic film it really is it is endlessly enjoyable even when it slightly bogs down there's a segment where a singer croons and it does weigh a little bit there it's still endlessly watchable and very much creates the 1962 scene so well here's the surprise for me house party 1990 I remember when it came out, Kid and Play were awesome. I never in a million years would have picked House Party, but it makes sense. It was a box office smash, but in particular with youth culture. I was in high school at this time, and everyone loved Kid and Play, and everyone did the Kid and Play, the dance. But it's it's endlessly relatable. It really is. And the impact that it had on how kids were dressing, that's really the interesting part. I don't think a lot of people get that. 
It also inspired a lot of interesting music. Here's one I knew that was going to be on here soon, and I'm glad it is. Iron Man, 2008. There's not much you need to say about it. The Marvel movies are hugely significant, and this was the opening salvo. But even removed from that, you had Robert Downey Jr., you had Jeff Bridges in a small but critical role, Gwyneth Paltrow at probably her best after 1999 or 2000. It's a well-made, well-shot, effects-heavy movie that just Itam Hakim Hapit, Hopit, it is a video, and apparently that means uh, we or someone, the Hopi, uh, which is about the Hopi, the people, the Hopi. This I've not seen. I don't even know if I've ever heard of it. I usually do like video art stuff, and this takes Hopi legends and myths and makes them into video art. I'd like to see it. I really would, because... I think, you know, as a guy of Native American background, it's always important to see those stories told. The Little Mermaid. This is the one I actually thought was on already. It's a really significant film, not only because it launched the Disney renaissance that brought us Aladdin, The Lion King, Hunchback of Notre Dame. I mean, you're still feeling the effects today to a degree, but it had one of the best songs you could ever ever imagine. A Whole New World is a spectacular song. It really is. Under the Sea is great too, but that one's the the keeper. Poor Unfortunate Souls, also great. Manzanar, another one I thought was on the registry. 1971, Robert Robert Nakamura, a documentary that he did at UCLA Film School in the Ethno-Communications Program. It's interesting because he was a kid who lived at Manzanar. And it's a look at what it all means, what it meant. And I've, I've seen it half a dozen times at least. And it's always this idea that you're looking through a lens at an event where the filmmaker himself has tried to put it down and is being forced to drag it back up and not entirely successfully. It's a great film. And that sort of distance that he has from that time really makes it very, very wonderful. Mardi Gras Carnival. This is from 1898. It's the oldest surviving uh, film of the Mardi Gras in New Orleans. Sorry, New Orleans. And I need to see this one because it was found in the Eye Museum in the Netherlands. And I really want to see that. Mingus, along with Straight No Chaser, I think Mingus is one of the best documentaries about jazz. And, you know, you got lots of footage of Mingus playing in, like, clubs, which... Not a ton of exists. Uh, Charles Mingus was, of course, one of the most important of all the the jazz musicians of the 19 ever. But in the 60s, you know, Mingus was evicted from his apartment. He, he had all sorts of issues, and he was trying to make his way in the world, but was having trouble. Here's another one I have never seen. I don't even know if I'd heard of it, but it sounds fascinating. Uh, Pariah from 2011. It's, it's a very late film. And she says it's a black lesbian coming-of-age film. Or is it? <laughs> and Dee Rees is a wonderful filmmaker whose work is... It's personal, and there's this detachment to it that I love. It's the ability that, you know, writers like William Sherwin have to see themselves not only warts and all, but truth and all. They see the positive and the negative and are able to not weigh on either side. And this is one I definitely need to get a hold of. And, you know, it's a film... That's kind of in my wheelhouse as far as time frame goes. 
Of course, I called this years ago, and I'm so glad we got it now. Scorpio Rise. Kenneth Anger, I believe Fireworks is already on, but this is probably the one that Anger most revealed his hand in. His idea of what would become subsumed by queer culture. Things like, you know, he put together in the same imagery, you know, ideas of religion, Nazism, biker subculture, very key. And I've never found out if it was Tom of Finland who influenced anger or the other way around. Could be both. But it's got this soundtrack of everything. I mean, it's got Ricky Nelson, Elvis, it's got the Crystals, Bobby Vinton. Speaking of music, Superfly, Gordon Parks Jr. 1972 was a big year for film. And, you know, getting films like Shaft and I think Sweet Sweetback needs to be on. Unless it might already be. But, you know, the exploitation films of the 1970s. You know, everything from Sweet Sweetback, Badass Revenge, Shaft, Superfly, Human Tornado, Dolomite, Petey Wheatstraw, all of those need to have some representation. And Superfly's soundtrack alone, Curtis Mayfield, probably the best soundtrack of the 70s. And that's a decade that I believe had things like uh, that wonderful Sun Ra film. Titty Cut Follies. This is another one that I have heard of and have never managed to see. It's about the Bridgewater State Prison for the Criminally Insane. And it is a documentary that looks at not only this individual prison, but the idea of the prison and the state and the prisoner. And it's a fascinating thing. Everything I've read about it has made me want to see it, and I've just never gotten around to it. Here's one I have seen a long time ago, uh, Tongues Untied from 1989. And Marlon Riggs is a important figure in a number of different fields, but most importantly was sort of seen as the as one of this wave of queer filmmakers of the 1980s. And there's everything from poetry to drama. <clears throat> Union Maids from 1976 is interesting because it was about industrial union creation in the 1930s. And it's an oral history with a bunch of footage. I've not seen the whole thing. I've seen a segment of it. That was in a documentary review thing. I think it might have even been in school. But it received an Academy Award nomination for Best Documentary Feature. Here's another one that I think shows the 1980s are being taken seriously. When Harry Met Sally. Rob Reiner, his best directorial work, probably. Princess Bride's probably up there, too. Both of them are now on the registry. It's a comedy that takes itself very seriously. And this is what's interesting. It is... A comedian directing a comedian. Because Rob Reiner is an excellent comedian. He really is. He's a wonderful comedic actor. But what we get is Billy Crystal performing somewhat less Billy Crystal-like. Because we had this image of what Billy Crystal was in the 80s, and City Slickers was probably the best example of it, at first at least. That it is, it's both serious, but there's a sentimentality to it. And this goes from his, you know, his sort of zaniness of the 19. Uh, earlier 80s. I think this list as a whole really speaks to sort of a number of things. One, the 1980s being taken seriously, like I've said multiple times, only 40 years too late. But I think we're seeing, again, the documentaries are rising, LGBTQ and queer and black cinema being taken very seriously, which is great. I think we got a wonderful piece of Chicano cinema, which 
does my heart good. I do hope we see even more expanse, but I also hope we don't lose sight of the keys to what has pushed film forward in many ways is the avant-garde, which is where a lot of the innovation happens, as well as the mainstream, because that's where a lot of the inspiration happens. It's, you know, it's a fascinating thing as much as people like Robert Forey, uh, your Kenneth Angers, Chick Strand, all these sort of innovated, Oscar Fischinger, great example, actually, innovated. They didn't necessarily inspire the next generation as much as films like Casablanca, The Wizard of Oz, these that sort of became subsumed, digested, and then reinterpreted in a way by the next generation. And those two streams, you definitely get some good avant-garde films here. Not as many as in years past, which is okay. You know, this is, goes back and forth, but you definitely do see still a mainstream. I mean, you can't get more mainstream than Iron Man when Harry met Sally. I think this is a list that I am going to be very, very happy with, and I got some viewing to do. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.